Hard to believe it's been 48 years of legalized abortion, but we just hit that mark and it continues. But the opposing work of pro-abortion and pro-life people has never waned. It's only grown. Governing administrations have favored one side or the other these decades, and the new one is with the abortion industry and promises of policy and law changes. How does that represent the American people for the most part? I'm Sheila Lagminas, and you're in the Forum. January always brings added focus on abortion and pro-life activities because of the anniversary of the Supreme Court decisions Roe and Doe legalizing abortion on demand. And all these decades since those January 1973 rulings, battles still engage activists and advocates on both sides of the issue, arguing for what each calls rights and choice. But with so much information available today, more Americans have turned more pro-life Is that trend continuing now, or just where does it stand, in large part, among our fellow citizens? Here with some latest information is Michael New, a visiting assistant professor of social research and political science at the Catholic University of America and an associate scholar at the Charlotte Lozier Institute in Washington, D.C. Michael, welcome back. Thank you for having me. It's great to have you in. You know, every January is this, what I just said, that extra focus on Roe and Doe and abortion in general. And... We've had for the past four years, finally, since, I don't know, did we have before, Michael, before last year, um, President Trump coming, or wasn't last year because of, uh, of COVID? Was it last year? Yeah, he, was had, spoke, he, spoke, he spoke last year. 2020, but, uh, yeah, because yeah, COVID he, started he hitting there. in March. Okay, so but did we have a president at the March for Life before that? We never had a U.S. president come in person. I think that we've had presidents send messages. I think President Reagan uh, did a phone hookup at one year. Uh, yeah. but. Donald Trump in 2020, that was the first time a sitting U.S. president has uh, addressed the March for Life in person. Well, and, and so we had uh, Marjorie Dannenfelser was on the show. Abby Johnson was on the show to talk about, you know, their aspects of what they see, the, the work they do. Marjorie Dannenfelser is Susan B. Anthony List in across the country, coast to coast, electing pro-life leaders. Abby Johnson and all of the work she does in the, in the pro-life world. And that was a while back. That was well before the elections. It was after somewhere around August or September. But that was a different uh, country then, Michael. We are so divided on everything. We've always been divided on abortion. And yet you, you can explain this so well. You've seen that trend shifting over the years to more, um, as I said, more Americans identifying as, as pro-life or even those who identify as pro-so-called choice. They at least don't want taxpayer dollars to pay for it. What are you finding now? Because you have a new article out in National Review titled, Why Did the Abortion Rate Increase in 2018? And Donald J. Trump was still president then. So what's going on? Well, I mean, I can say several things. First, you know, the long-term trends are hopeful for pro-lifers. Uh, we've seen the U.S. abortion rate decrease by over 50% since 1980. That's a good trend. We've made some long-term gains in the core public opinion. Uh, Gallup, as recently as 1995, only found that like 33% of people identified as pro-life. Uh, now, uh, pro-life self-identification is well over 40, typically over 45%. So there have been some real gains there. Uh, that said, there have been some short-term things I think we should find a little bit concerning. Uh, this past November, the Center for Disease Control uh, updated their abortion data. Uh, they released new data. 
from 2017 and 2018. And the bad news is that after a very large, significant long-term decline in the U.S. abortion rate, there was a slight uptick in 2018. And in this Nash Review online piece, I try to explain why. And there's two things in particular that I would like to highlight. Uh, the first thing is that we do see some uh, public policy changes. Uh, sadly, in a lot of quote unquote blue states, they are trying to make their abortion policy uh, more permissive. Uh, for instance, in 2018, uh, the state of Illinois uh, started covering elective abortions through their state Medicaid program. So that means that for women on Medicaid, uh, abortions were free or very heavily subsidized. And not surprisingly, the abortion rate in Illinois went up. Uh, data indicate that the abortion rate in Illinois went up by 9% uh, in 2018. So that was troubling. A second troubling trend is that we see a real increase in chemical abortions. Uh, the RE-486 right. pill was first approved by uh, the FDA in 2000. Uh, keep in mind, there was no legislation uh, no testimony. It was purely just an administrative decision. Many people think the Clinton administration put some political pressure on the FDA uh, to approve RE46. And since then, we've seen a consistent increase in the percentage of abortions that are chemical abortions. But the past few years, uh, that increase has become uh, more dramatic. I think between 2015 and 2018, the percentage of all abortions that were chemical abortions went from 25% to 40%. In 2018 alone, the number of chemical abortions went up by 10%. So that's something that's very troubling, uh, that as abortion facilities close down, people who support legal abortion are promoting these chemical abortions. They're obviously failed to the unborn child, but they also pose some real health risks to the mothers as well. Uh, we have good data showing that uh, chemical abortions just tend to pose you know, much greater health risks. Uh, they have a higher complication rate than surgical abortions. And this is something that pro-lifers should be aware of. Well, a lot of them are, and I've worked with them and had them on my, my program, Michael, talking with experts in the field of, you know, pregnancy help centers, which are just so marvelous. We can talk about that in a minute. That is an alternative. And that's what, when I, when I said at the open, uh, choice, uh, rights and choice, that the abortion side is not really using those terms correctly. I mean, their words mean things and you can't make a word, you know, you can try semantic engineering to make it mean something else such as choice, but it's not true choice. Giving true choice to women uh, in need is the uh, pro-life movement and always has been. And they do, are doing so more, it seems, by the day, certainly by the week and by the month at uh, all of the pregnancy help centers across the country, which are growing and far outnumber abortion clinics. But, but, it, but it's those people, Michael, and ones I've worked with very closely in Chicago. So I know that Illinois law well about taxpayer funding for abortion, like New York's law. I think they're, they're called the identical name, something like Reproductive Care Act, no reproduction going on, Health Care Act, and no health and no care, but that's what they call it, misnomers. But, but I know from Aid for Women in Chicago and other, you know, out in Texas, um, Austin, Texas, uh, John Paul II Center, Life Center. There's so many centers who, who are very concerned about this. And when women call in and talk with them who are in pregnancy, uh, crisis pregnancy or any kind of need, they have really been diligent about informing women of this more widely available uh, on, online even uh, abortion pill because Planned Parenthood has been 
pushing that a lot. You know, the chemical abortions, especially with COVID, then really pushed it more with the online version. You can get it. It's easy. You know, order it in, in the privacy of your own home. They tout it as such a good thing. Michael, we've got a lot of proof and have covered it, how, how horrifying it really is. And Abby Johnson spoke to that because she had gone through one herself. So do you get the sense, I mean, why is that information not getting more widely spread? Does it go back to the, the old uh, argument again about where media, what media will cover and won't? I mean, I think media bias has a lot to do with it. Uh, I yeah. think that, you know, we have good studies showing that chemical abortions have a higher complication rate. And these are they well do. done studies. Um, yeah. There's one I think was doing particularly good that looked at comprehensive data from California's Medicaid system. So this wasn't anecdotes, it was comprehensive. They could look at women who obtained chemical abortions and then looked at hospital admissions afterwards. And they found that uh, the complication rate with these chemical abortions was like four times higher uh, mm -hmm. than surgical abortions. Um, and again, a lot of times studies like this just simply are ignored by the mainstream media or very often they are covered. Uh, you know, the media misinterprets, you know, the findings or uh, doesn't really report on the fact that uh, complication rates are higher for chemical abortions than for surgical abortions. So, yeah, I do think uh, you know, the media has, you know, quite a lot to, to do with it. Um, you know, I think that the media tends to be very invested uh, in keeping abortion legal. And I think that stories about abortion regret, health risks, both physical and uh, psychological, uh, that come after abortion, just that we do not get the attention they deserve. Well, so, you know, we, we've really had quite a year in 2020 that, that they really, sh that, that was specifically a time that this should have been highlighted more because in your article, you point out that 30 states and the D.C. District of Columbia reported abortion data to the CDC by race and ethnicity that were for both 2017 and 18. And that report indicated that whites, blacks, and Hispanics all experienced slight increases in the incidence of abortions. Michael, talk about the fact that there are more abortion clinics in, in, in dominant black neighborhoods or parts of cities. Already there have been for many, many years. And, and now we're seeing this. It, it's being pushed more to blacks and Hispanic you know, areas of cities. And with all this extra attention, rightly so, given to what those communities actually need and how we should reform and renew our country so that all people uh, in need receive it or, or at least have access to it. We should be paying more attention to the higher incidence of abortion in black neighborhoods in the first place and now pushing the abortion pill more to, to, the, to those populations. There should be more attention on that. Yeah, I certainly agree. I think that, uh, you know, long-term abortion rates have gone down for, uh, all racial and ethnic groups, uh, though, as I said before, 2018, we did see a slight uptick uh, amongst whites, amongst African-Americans, and amongst Hispanics. And you're certainly correct that a very high percentage of abortion facilities are located in low-income neighborhoods. A very high percentage are located in neighborhoods with a high uh, African-American population. Uh, I don't think that's a coincidence. I think if one uh, looks at the history of Planned Parenthood, and one reads about Margaret Sanger, uh, this is someone who was, frankly, a racist, and uh, had just really uh, horrible views when it came to race. So um, again, I don't think that uh, you know we need to be placing more abortion facilities in these neighborhoods. Uh, abortion doesn't solve the problems uh, of uh, women facing unintended pregnancies. I think that I'm glad to hear that a lot of pregnancy help centers are starting to open their doors in these neighborhoods and offer good, you know, life-affirming choices and life-affirming alternatives. Um, so, so again, I think that uh, you know, pro-life we certainly have our, our work cut out for us. Uh, in terms of, you know, outreach to uh, a wide range of racial and ethnic groups. Uh, 
Uh, but I think, again, this is all something we need to be aware of. Well, they need to be aware of, and they're getting it through pro-life media and pro-life uh, you know, organizations and not the general public. We need to have, that's why social media allows sort of, an, a, if you will, a democracy of, of the voices. On, on the other hand, there's new censorship out uh, abroad these days in our country, and that's another issue, which gets down to politics, doesn't it? Who's controlling the levers of power? And, and that, that's also going to control what people hear, and then that's going to control, Michael, what they know and what they learn. And so it's really up to people who have access to social media to spread these kind of facts so that girls and women know these things. I mean, even, you know, the birth control pills, the side effects of those. I mean, how much coverage is that received over all these decades? So this is, is this something, you do so much research in this all the time and data, and then you write about it for so long and you have. What's your sense of the turn in politics creating what, a bigger obstacle for the pro-life movement? Certainly, you know, having a president, vice president, the vice president has in California been very active when she was attorney general in, say, punishing David Daleiden and, you know, very active. She and, and Joe Biden, um, the president, uh, very active in trying to prom- keep access, uh, certainly legal to abortion, not pushing or promoting any kind of other alternative and uh, actually doing away with the Hyde Amendment, which President Biden has talked about. And you've written prodigiously about that. So, I mean, we, the pro-life movement, as we've done this before, we can do this. And yet our job got harder, didn't it? Our job certainly is harder. I mean, elections do have consequences. And uh, we're going to face the consequences of the fact that a president's been elected, inaugurated, who supports legal abortion. And our job is going to be harder. I mean, uh, we were able to preserve the Hyde Amendment through President Clinton's years. We were able to preserve the Hyde Amendment through President Obama's time in office. But since that time, uh, the Democratic Party has really kind of shifted the left on sanctity of life issues. Uh, The position of most Democrats in the 90s and 2000s, even in the 2010s, was that abortion should be legal, but not necessarily funded with federal taxpayer dollars. That's shaped. Now a lot of Democratic elected officials not only want abortion to be legal, uh, they want people to pay for elective abortions uh, through their taxpayer dollars through Medicaid. So we're going to have a tougher fight uh, on the Hyde Amendment. You know, I don't think we should just despair. I mean, we have a Democratic president who, when he ran for office at one point, uh, said he supported the Hyde Amendment, but flipped when he ran for president. And Biden now says he opposes the Hyde Amendment. And we have Democrats controlling both the House and Senate. And we also know that when, you know, the Democratic Party does put pressure on their members, you know, they often do cave. You know, we saw that with the Affordable Care Act. But we shouldn't just need to spare either. I mean, the margins that the Democrats have in both the House and Senate are very thin. It wouldn't take more than flipping a few Democrats in either chamber uh, to preserve the Hyde Amendment. So we just need to, uh, you know, run the kind of the best campaign we can. You know, we need to lobby these Democrats. We need to make sure their constituents uh, are aware of what's happening and constituents of theirs who oppose taxpayer-funded abortion need to make their voices heard. And if these Democrats, especially in red and purple states, decide to vote against the Hyde Amendment, that needs to be a big campaign issue in 2022 or 2024. That has to be a very costly vote. If those Democrats go down to defeat, I think that other Democrats will notice that and may consider changing their position. So, you know, nothing's impossible, but pro-lifers, frankly, we do have our work cut out for us. And you say that at the end of your article in National Review, why did the abortion rate increase in 2018? You say Michael knew that analyses by both pro-life groups and groups supporting legal abortions have found 
that the Hyde Amendment has saved literally, see, this is, this is why it's targeted, because the Hyde Amendment has saved literally mil millions of lives since 1976. As such, you write, there is broad consensus that repealing the Hyde Amendment would result in thousands more abortion being, abortions being performed annually. So you end your article with this statement, as always, pro-lifers would do well to be diligent. What do you mean by that and what advice would you offer pro-lifers? Let's say a couple of things. I mean, one thing I do want to highlight is that there is a very strong consensus that the Hyde Amendment does save tens of thousands of lives. As someone who's an academic and a researcher, there's all kinds of debate and disagreement when it comes to public policy surrounding abortion. There's questions about the extent to which uh, abortion causes psychological problems. There's questions about the extent to which abortion causes physical health problems. But one area where there's a lot of consensus where quote-unquote pro-life and quote-unquote pro-choice researchers agree is that the Hyde Amendment saves lives. That when you start funding abortion with taxpayer dollars, abortion rates go up. And, you know, Guttmacher has released literature reviews which confirm that. Um, Sarah Reproductive Rights did a paper in 2010 which said the Hyde Amendment stopped over a million abortions. Uh -huh. My own study for the Charlotte Lewis Institute came out in 2016. We updated it last year. I found the Hyde Amendment saved over 2.4 million abortions since, 2000, since 1976. So there is a lot of consensus here. Um, as far as being diligent, I just think it all kind of goes back to the advice I said before that, uh, you know, we're going to have to protect Hyde. We're going to need the support of some Democrats. And that's not, you know, it's challenging, but it's not going to be impossible. You have Democrats like Joe Manchin from Senator from West Virginia. Mm -hmm. Joe Manchin, you know, West Virginia is a very pro-life state politically. Uh, you have other Democrats who represent, you know, red and purple states and red and purple districts. And taxpayer funding for abortion does not pull well. Even people think abortion should be legal. Uh, they're not really comfortable in many cases seeing abortion funded uh, with taxpayer dollars. So again, we need to, you know, lobby these congressmen, lobby these senators, especially people who live in their states, their district, need to make their voices heard. And again, if these congressmen and senators do vote in favor of taxpayer funding for legal abortion, that needs to be publicized, that vote needs to be very visible, needs to be a big campaign issue. And it would certainly help if these Democrats, frankly, were defeated the next uh, cycle for election. Yeah, and then that, that requires citizens who vote and then citizens need to vote to be well aware of, of where the different representatives, whether it's a, in the House of Representatives, a senator at the state level, all people you are voting for in your state, the, people, the citizens who vote uh, need to be aware of, of what, where they stand. On this particular issue, because you can't make a coherent argument for any other right if you can't even guarantee the right to live in the first place. I mean, it, to me, it's just so analogous with the slavery issue, Michael. It's just, it's just so analogous that you know the ownership of or the the the, the say over another human life and no rights back under slavery, no rights for that whole class of, of human beings. And now it's the class of human beings in the womb. So that's to that point. Maybe I'll make that a final question for you. And I know you're a data uh, person and a data expert, and you that's why you write about so much research and data and polling uh, results and so forth. But this is an opinion question because you are in that field. You do read and, and learn so much. You know the tendencies. You know the history all the way up through where we are right now with abortion. So to, to, to all that point, this being analogous to slavery, a whole class of human beings being denied rights. People, Michael, these days in America, over this past year, have really focused in sometimes in, in a sort of heat, extremely heated way. We had a very angry hot summer of 2020 with with heated uh, 
uh, battles over human rights to whole classes of citizens. So, so why, being that it is about a class of citizens, is why is it? Why are we still here? Why are we still arguing about this? And why are so many people still accepting the propaganda of the abortion movement that this is a woman's right over her body and the right to choose? And the things we know are just patently wrong. Yep, I think that's a very probing question. I'm not sure I can do it justice in a few minutes. Uh, I do tragically think that there are some people out there who do think uh, abortion, frankly, has been good for women. I certainly disagree with that. Uh, but they do. some people do think mm. it's helped women achieve more professionally and educationally. Again, I think that's uh, incorrect, but it is a point of view that some people do have. There are some people out there who just don't like abortion, but somehow think things would somehow, quote, unquote, be worse if we uh, protect unborn children and banned abortion. Uh, they are concerned that it would hurt women's health. They're concerned about self-induced abortions. Uh, I think that, you know, we see from uh, other countries that that's not the case. And many countries that have good protective pro-life laws have very good public health outcomes. Ireland, before they legalized abortion, mm -hmm. had good maternal health outcomes. Poland, uh, where abortion is not completely illegal, but heavily restricted. Very few abortions happen in Poland. Uh, their public health, maternal health outcomes are very good. Um, you know, again, I think these are reasons uh, why some people are reluctant to uh, support pro-life laws. I think the data, mm -hmm. the evidence is all clearly on our side. You know, you know, we had Martin Luther King Day, I guess uh, a week or so ago. And mm -hmm. um, I'm reminded by the quote of his, you know, the arc of the moral universe is long, uh, but it does bend toward justice. And I just think that, you know, a lie can't exist forever. We just have to be diligent uh, about promoting the truth. Uh, there are people with a lot of vested kind of economic interests keeping abortion legal. Uh, just the same way there were people with kind of vested interests economically keeping slavery legal. There were people with vested economic interests in trying to play down the health risks of tobacco. Uh, but eventually kind of the truth won out. Uh, sometimes it doesn't win as fast as we would like. We just need to do our job, you know, be mm -hmm. diligent, be prayerful. Uh, and eventually, as I often you know, conclude my speeches and remarks, I have every confidence we stay the course, you know, victory will someday be ours. Mm -hmm. So I just think we need to keep doing our writing, our research, keep up our outreach in front of abortion clinics, keep mm -hmm. helping pregnant women through pregnancy help centers, keep educating the American public, and you know, things will change. Which means constantly do something. And yes. Michael New, I know you're providing people with something to do with all the information you put out there through your articles in National Review and other places for Charlotte Lozier and in the teaching you do at the Catholic University of America. But by, but, but, but by getting it out there and publishing these things, you are giving people material. You're giving them information and now they can use that information to engage the public in the ways they, they do, whether it's on social media or in person in their social groups. It's just important that we do something. And my Michael, to my mind, like every day. And as you said, pray. We have to pray about this and have faith and also act. Thank you, Michael New. It's always a pleasure to talk with you, especially about the, you know, the data, the statistics, not just statistics. Nobody's really convinced by statistics, but what they're convinced by is passion and by the truth. And you, as you say, I saw saints uh, uh, on po quotes posted on Facebook recently by some believers and pro-lifers that what, to what you just said, the truth will always come out. The truth will always prevail. It can take a long time, but stay with the truth and it will prevail. So it's a good reminder from you. Thank you, Michael. Uh, thank you for having me. So we have much to do in all things good, true, and just. Thanks for being part of this conversation. Please share the link and invite others to join us next time here in the forum.